Hello and welcome to the latest Envcast episode. Envcast is a Society for the Environment podcast, bringing you environmental professionals in conversation each month. Each episode is designed to provide insight into the life of registered environmental professionals, featuring experts from across a wide range of sectors and disciplines. We explore what they do, why they do it, how they got to where they are now, and their future ambitions. Each guest has verified their environmental credentials by achieving Chartered Environmentalist, Registered Environmental Practitioner, or Registered Environmental Technician registration. To learn more about the Society for the Environment or our environmental registrations, please visit socenv.org.uk. That's S-O-C-E-N-V.org.uk. Enjoy the episode. Hello, I'm Phil from the Society for the Environment and welcome to this month's Envcast episode. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by a chartered environmentalist I've known a little bit about for a number of years, mainly because they are they provided one of the very first registrant profiles on the SOCEM website. Um, plus, it's probably worth adding that the Institution of agricultural engineers whom they are uh our guest is a member of they, they sing their praises on a fairly, fairly regular basis so um which they might not know about but it's always nice um they work within the uk water sector and gained their chartered environmentalist registration in 2016 with the institution of agricultural engineers or i agree for short so i'm very pleased to be to welcome uh, alex cook thank you very much for joining us today thank you for having me that's quite all right Whereabouts are you joining us from today? Uh, I'm in very foggy uh, South Leicestershire today. Very foggy South Leicestershire. Well, very I'm joining... foggy, yeah. That's interesting. I'm joining you from very foggy West Leicestershire. Oh, West Leicestershire. Oh. We should have we should have talked about this. Before we should we have just met up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we are saving carbon and and all sorts there. So yeah. <laughs> we, we meet by the power of the internet. Um, I mean, I must admit, I, I'm fairly disappointed that you don't, you're not calling from a, a river bank, a foggy river bank in the Leicestershire mm-hmm. countryside somewhere, but I'll let it pass for now. I mean, there's one right down the road. I can hop, hop down there if you like. <laughs> <laughs> it depends how the signal is, I suppose. <laughs> we'll do that next time. <laughs> um, so, as always uh, on MCAST, uh, to start proceedings, I'm going to hand straight over to you uh, to give us a flavour of what you currently do as a job so over to you okay well yes i'm a principal catchment scientist at seven trent water um so i've been with seven trent for it's coming up to five years now in a couple of weeks time um but i originally joined them as a catchment management scientist and i uh, progressed my way up to principal um over over that time um so I guess as a, a very high level blurb of what our team does, we're we're responsible for the business's catchment management program. So that's working with farmers and landowners. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Which probably relates to what I just said about sitting on a river bank in the Leicestershire countryside. <laughs> yeah. That might have been a bit strange if if without <laughs> that explanation. Um so a principal catchment scientist. Yes. What does what do you do on a day to day kind of basis? I guess it probably changes every day, but yeah, it, it does. It's it's quite a diverse role, um, and that's why I really love it. To be honest, um, no two days are the same. Um, I get everything from um, going out on site, work with farmers, work with charities, landowners, helping them to understand what they could do um, on their their farm or within that specific project. 
through to um, working with our regulators to understand the water quality risks and what um, what the business can do to to reduce those risks at our abstraction points through to um, one of the big things I'm doing now is working out our strategy of, for our team for the 2025 to 2030 period. So completely different ends of the spectrum, but all very uh, important and very relevant to the water sector um, and where we are right now. Okay. Well, that certainly sounds like a, a diverse role. Mm-hmm. Um, what area do you geographically cover? I am region-wide. I don't have a specific area. So I'm not one of the um, people that goes out day-to-day that has a specific uh, catchment area that they focus on where they're engaging with farmers within that that area. I'm not one of those people, but I work alongside them. So I will um, effectively work out the the science and the strategy of what needs to be delivered. Um, And that could be from our regulators or from the business internally. And then we pass it over to our delivery teams, which are our agricultural advisors on the ground, and they do the the day-to-day work with the farmers. I see. I see. (laughs) So for those who don't know about Seven Trent and the UK water sector, you're very much Midlands based. Yeah, so we're we're East Midlands, West Midlands. We stretch from the top of the Humber like Scunthorpe area all the way down to the mouth of the River Severn and then we go across into West Wales as sort of the sort of McCuncliffe area um, as well as where I am now on the the South Leicestershire border so really big area to be honest. Quite a big area. Um, Yeah very big area very uh, um, diverse landscapes actually it it creates very diverse farming systems very diverse water quality uh, risks as well for the business um we've got lots of arable in the, the area that i'm in now um and then obviously wales you've got lots of hill farmers completely different landscapes to sort of the warwickshire area so uh, it that a uh, very diverse area but and that allows us to have a lot of um innovation in the projects that we 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 work on um which makes the role you know even more exciting yeah <laughs> i imagine so what kind of innovation are we talking? What kind of um, uh, pieces of technology do you use, and uh, how, how does that work? H- humor my lack of knowledge. Here. Yeah. So <laughs> when I say innovation, um, I I mean we do use technology. We um, satellites, remote sensing. Um, last week I was looking um, with a supplier on uh, drones that spray spray crops. So that's there is technology involved in the role, but. What I do in my role with innovation is more around um, big projects, I guess, uh, sort of catchment scale projects that are um, utilising new methods or processes, or um, it could be that we're taking that catchment approach where we're, we're pulling in all the stakeholders that work in that catchment to deliver good for that catchment um, collectively rather than in our little silos. Um, so not not quite what we're... The technology aspect that you were you were mentioning but yeah. innovative in for the water industry and um innovative in the processes that we're using um within the environment sector i guess that makes a lot of sense yeah. is a lot of your role to do with ensuring water quality um or does it does it span a lot of different areas yeah so uh broadly our bread and butter is um preventing things from going on at source um predominantly in the agricultural sector 
so that um, it doesn't end up in the the rivers or the aquifers where we're abstracting from. That that's sort of the bread and butter of our role. Um, increasingly, the, we're taking that approach um, that we've learned from that from that program because so we've been we've been doing that sort of work now for the last sort of ten years. So we we understand um, we've got a good program. We understand how it works now. We've got a lot of experience. But we're taking that approach and sort of moving it across to the wastewater side of our business as well. So um, looking at where we can support farmers um, and landowners to uh, reduce their own fair share uh, of nutrients going onto the land and into the river. So it helps to improve river health um, on the wastewater side of the business as well. And then um, increasingly, we're doing more broader environmental work as well. So um, I've got uh, quite a few projects now where I'm linking in with our Seven Trends Biodiversity and Ecology team. So looking at triple um, SIs or um, uh, what else have we got? Yeah, triple SIs. Uh, we've got forestry team where we're looking at um, hedgerow planting and connecting connectivity across the landscape. Hmm. Um, as well as uh, our in-hand farm. Most people don't know that Seven Trent are actually a farmer as well. We've got several farms dotted around the region. Um, and it's, it's looking at our own estate and what we can do there as well to, to improve oh. the environment. Seven Trent have farms? I yes, we do. That. Yes. Well, if I haven't learned anything today, I'll take that away and uh, <laughs> find out where. I don't know why I'd find out where the farms are, but it might be interesting. I know it's just very interesting. Um Nice. So as well as there's a lot of things to get involved in, it's fair to say. Um, so that, that must require quite a broad range of skills, I imagine. So what, what kind of skills and qualifications did you need to be able to do the job that you're doing now? So I guess I I didn't really think I'd end up uh, in this job, if I'm honest, um, uh, or in the water sector. I, oh. I, hadn't, I certainly hadn't planned like this, this is my career route, if you know what I mean. Um, I did environmental geoscience as a degree, um, which uh, gave me a broad understanding of geology through to meteorology, through to sort of coastal processes and hydrology. So very, very broad. But um, it was the, for me anyway, it was the soil science and the pedology elements on that degree that caught my eye. And I loved I loved learning about um the interaction soil plant interactions I did a project in Mediterranean France and that's what really led me to do my master's um which was all around soil science and land restoration um and it was off the back of that that I got a, a job in a consultancy um as an environmental soil scientist and I, I did that for a uh, foot well, a combination of full-time and um, part-time roles for a number of years. Um, but it was only after my PhD that I realised that I probably wasn't best suited to consultancy. Um, I wanted, I liked a bit more of the innovation. I was, uh, I think my role right now, I have to be quite dynamic. And um, consultancy for me was a a bit less dynamic than what I, I needed uh, my career to be, I guess. So this role came up at Seven Trent for a catchment scientist, and it was just for a maternity role at the, at the time, um, a one-year sort of uh, contract role. Um, but I was lucky enough to be kept on. They've managed to find a permanent position for me. Um, 
And it was really uh, my PhD in applied, uh, well, applied catchment science really is what it boils down to that allowed me to excel in this role um, at Seven Trent. Um, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that um, without that PhD. Did you do your PhD after your uh, work within the consultancies? Yes, I did. Yes, I went back. Went back. So I, I did uh, sort of a, for a couple of years, the first years of the PhD, I was doing sort of a bit of PhD and consultancy work. Yeah. And that was really to keep my foot in the game um, to, to, to help me get where I wanted to go um, with my career. Because I, 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 you know, going back and taking what some might view as a bit of a career break, I didn't want to sort of lose momentum. Um, and so I, whilst I was doing my PhD, I really pushed myself to do other things as well, like um, the the part-time and the casual consultancy work. Um, I did a bit of um, soil science um, training for uh, the British Society of Soil Science. So I do some of their working with soil um, courses. I'd be one of the trainers. Um, so just things like that, that sort of, kept me sort of moving on i guess whilst i was back studying well it sounds like all of that led to what you're doing now so that that, that effort to continue to do multiple things at the same time and keeping your your hands into various things that that that, that's proved worthwhile i assume it's 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 a good message to have to other people as well to 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 I suppose it keeps your options open a little bit as well does it it must do yeah and and i think um a, a lot of if you don't know where you want to go and what you want to do, um, which I never did, I, I I knew that I just wanted to do something that I really enjoyed. And um, I had two options, really. I had the environmental side, which I, I really enjoyed and I loved. And I loved being out, outdoors. And um, that's where that sort of stemmed from. And then and then art. <laughs> and I'm never going to make it as an artist. <laughs> um, you do a broad degree, if you know what I mean. And, and then you could do an applied degree. And I'm always somebody that likes to keep learning. And so my my experience throughout that time has I've I've kept adding sort of strings to my bow as as I've found something that I've been interested in and I've enjoyed so that I can get that experience. And then it might not be directly relevant to what I'm doing now, but most of the time, if not all of the time, I've been able to draw on it. Uh you know in the future for some for a completely different project that i never thought i would need to use it for yeah is this your creative artist side always wanting to learn more about new maybe things? who knows yeah <laughs> could be could be um but your your the role the route that you went down instead of the consultant side did that allow you to be a slightly more hands-on uh, and that appealed to you a bit more yeah yeah it did i i i think uh, consultancy is a really important part of um, environmental planning, but but for me, I found it quite restrictive in that I often didn't see a project through to completion. Um, and um, you know, there's some projects where you you might not really want to to do that that work. Essentially, it's not something that you yourself would choose to do. Yeah. Um, but you're a consultant, and you. As a junior consultant, you you don't get much choice, I guess. Okay. So uh, for me, I found consultancy. Um, uh, I learned a lot, but it just wasn't for me as a career. I guess I needed yeah. something that was a bit more applied um, in in the environmental world. That and I could take a project and own it and d- 
do it all the way through from beginning to, to completion. Um, and Seven Trent, the, this role at Seven Trent really has allowed me to do that. Whilst I'm often spinning many plates, I've got lots of different projects on the go. Um, they're all for that. They've got their own individual uh, targets, but then they've got that wider piece of um, the the benefit that collectively they're going to give us and the environment um, once they're pulled together. Yeah, I guess they're all working towards a, a similar collective goal. Yeah, which exactly. allows you to to drive your own work forwards to to, to yeah. go towards that. That makes sense. In terms of you, know, you mentioned uh, plate spinning and and that kind of thing. What what are the kind of challenges that you face within your current role uh right now i'm just so busy to be honest. <laughs> as is everyone i'm sure um i think my biggest challenge is marrying up the um different interests of our different stakeholders so we've got um regulators who are you know often trying to um uh balance what we want to do against their different regulations that they have to monitor us against. Um, We've got, you know, farmers and charities that just want to get on and do things on the ground and they're they're raring to go and they really want to get on and do something, but we have to sort of temper their relation, temper temper their their expectations a bit. Um, and And then I guess we've got customers and our investors as well and what what they're expecting of us i mean um thankfully i'm in a, an area in the environment where customers and our everybody all of those stakeholders are wanting to do this work um because they're all interested in the environment they all want to protect the environment so i'm lucky in that sense um but so one of the biggest char- challenges is marrying up those different sort of um viewpoints so that we can find the the sort of nugget in the middle where they all overlap and that that's what we can drive through to project completion yeah i can i imagine that's a, that's a massive challenge for a lot of a lot of different uh, uh, jobs essentially yeah stakeholder management is mm-hmm. key um and the environment comes into that conversation a lot with uh, you know m- managing how does that fit in with the financial expectations and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff always challenging and i don't know if this features in in the, the answer to the next question but what what's your favorite what's the favorite part of your job does that involve does that involve people is it the science or is it being out there and monitoring things yeah so i, I guess um in a way a bit of all of that if i'm honest um i love the team that i'm in we're such a fun team um and people when when you've got a team that we're all thinking the same thing we're all striving for the for the same thing um it it we're yeah it it makes it makes work itself very very fun but uh, um i do i do love the, the science i mean i am a principal catchment scientist at the end of the day i love i love the um working out the problems i love the problem solving um that this role uh brings with it and it's challenging at times it definitely is but um the the reward at the end of solving those problems and there's the reward for the company but then there's the reward for the environment as well and that's that's what i like at the end of it absolutely and <laughs> do you get out and about much or are you fairly office-based or I'm predominantly office based these days yeah I do get out and about um probably once a week maybe I'm out and about somewhere 
um, around the region, the different projects. So is your head office Coventry? It is, yes. Ah. Just used to be under the underpass from the old Society for the Environment uh, (laughs) when we had a head office. Well, we (laughs) virtual one these days. We could see your building from our window. A couple of meetings there as well. It's very nice. So I, I think you've answered this really. But I'll probably, I'm going to ask it anyway, just for clarification. Do you feel like you make a difference in your role? I do. Yes, That's I good. definitely do. Yeah, it must be a good feeling. Yeah, it is. I really do love my role. Yeah, it's very rewarding. Good. So you feel like you've landed on your feet with that one then? Yes, I really have. Excellent. Well, it's always <laughs> nice to hear. It's good to have positive stories. So let, let's let's move back a few years then. Okay. Um, when did you? first develop an awareness of the environment and the challenges within or just the general beauty of it or whatever it might be yeah so um i remember very clearly when i first comprehended the environment um and it was on a uh a drive to south wales with my mum and dad and my sister in the car um and my dad um well, he was in the army, but he was in the he was doing all the mapping and uh, cartography for the ordnance survey in the army. And at this point in my life, I didn't know anything about mapping. Um, but I remember my dad explaining very clearly um, the the hill that was on this side of the car window <laughs> at the time, and how it linked to all the different processes with the U shaped valley that we were currently driving through, and how that linked then to what we saw on the map. And it was. It was that sort of, well, it was that moment really that I remember like realizing I knew nothing and I needed to know more about what I was seeing out the window. Um, and it just sort of snowballed from there, really. Um, it grabbed your attention from out the window. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> so, a few years on from then, um, you, you became a chartered environmentalist in 2016. Um, what does being what does being a chartered environmentalist mean to you? Why did you go through that process? Oh, it means everything to me. I mean, I knew as soon as I got my job in consultancy, they made it very clear that they valued chartered people who were chartered, char- chartered environmentalist, chartered engineer, whatever, which, whichever one it was that was relevant to the, the person. Um, but I was only uh, sort of a year in at that point, and I'd, I'd start, I'd made, I'd because I'd become aware of it quite early on, I um, made sure that I was doing CPD very, very early on. Um, and so that's allowed me to to, to be, uh, become chartered quite early on, I guess. Um, but for me personally, it means that um, I know that every, every, this is recognised no matter what industry I go into, whether it's you know, across, it could be anywhere across the world. Even I am, re- I am recognised as somebody who understands the environment, uh, appreciates it in the right way, and um, uh, manages it in uh, meet well, what manages it whilst meeting the the right principles. You know, the Society for the Environment principles. I know that it's it's widely recognised that I am um, somebody who understands that, um, and so. Uh, yeah, it kind of it opens up your doors really as well, doesn't it? Because because of that. Um, so yeah, for me it means everything. Well, that is very good to hear. <laughs> Hopefully a key message that we might use again, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um 
And you mentioned about, you know, starting the process if you thought about it fairly early in your career um and i hope you don't mind me saying but you're you're a fairly young chartered environmentalist um which is certainly not a bad thing at all um and i mean you're still a young chartered environmentalist now but in 2016 you're even younger obviously um but so why was it was it a key thing that you knew about going through university or was it did you first become aware of it during your consultancy times and yeah you were pretty driven to to get it fairly on so i knew about it when i was doing my masters i think um right. so i agri accredited my masters and i remember them coming around to um our class and um telling us about themselves but also telling us about chartered environmentalists and um that's so that's probably when i first became aware of it but um i obviously i was in I was doing my masters at that point so I I did as much training and other stuff as I could but it was really when I went into consultancy that I made sure that I I hit the CPD hard and hit the extra training hard and gained as much as I could from all the different projects that I was working on um and the thing for me is that I made sure that when I then left consultancy and went back to studying for my PhD I didn't stop that um, because I didn't, again, I didn't want to be left behind. Um, you know, it's effect, PhD is very rewarding, but it could be viewed by some as a bit of a career break. And I didn't want to be left behind from, from doing that. And so I made sure that I, it was a lot of pressure at the time, but I put myself under um, a, a, lot, a lot of pressure to get all this extra experience whilst I was still doing my PhD. Um, and I guess that that stood me in good stead because I was able to get I was able to become chartered environmentalist part way through that that PhD process in 2016. Well, that's, that makes a lot of sense because with your you know with your CPD when you're becoming chartered, you need that continuous element yeah. um, to to show during your uh, chartered environmentalist application. Um, so you know without the breaks that you're mentioning, it obviously allows things to happen a little bit quicker. Um, and you're obviously able to do that within your PhD, which makes a lot of sense. Um, what would you say to other people thinking about a career in the environment and potentially progressing towards the CM registration? Do it. <laughs> Easy as that. Yeah, do it. Yeah. I think um, there's so many uh, roles out there now. You might not know exactly what role it is that you want to do that's within this space but you will find something um, that um, is both important and um, grabs your attention. There's not enough young people, particularly within this space, within this sector. Um, And for me in the water sector, I guess there's a lot of people that are sort of within the sector for their careers. Um, and the more people that we can bring into the environment sector and the water sector that are working within the environment um, in particular uh, is only ever going to be a good thing. Well, I can only agree with that. We're doing a lot of work at the moment at the Society for the Environment about skilled gaps. Um, you know, young people coming through, uh, or not just young people, but you know, career changes and that kind of thing. Um, you know, new minds coming into all different sectors of the environment sector if you can call it that um is, is hugely important at the moment and there's vast amounts of opportunities so mm-hmm. i'm very pleased you, you you touched on that quite a lot um now obviously we've mentioned that you become a trusted environmentalist via your membership of i agree 
obviously that's the institution of agricultural engineers fairly engineering based body but you, are you, are you i'm not an engineer, an engineer right? <laughs> so what what was the reasoning behind going through i agree you're you were a member beforehand i assume obviously it was linked to your degree masters was it yeah yeah so there was definitely that element they accredited my masters so uh, that i guess i was exposed to them from um early on um but they they were so amazing all the way through this process i was able to um they're quite a small they're quite a small institution um and whilst there's uh some people could say there's negatives that come from that for me um that allowed me to tap into uh vast amounts of experience <laughs> within the institution um i managed to get onto the mentoring program very very quickly and help that's that was key in helping me to gain my chartership um but yeah you're you're right i'm not an engineer but i agree as an institution they have a lot of engineers within within the institution but they have a big and an ever increasing uh division which is devoted to soil and water and land-based processes which is where I fit in really with what I do although I do touch on the engineering side but yeah it's not my bread and butter um so yeah well that personable Nate that element makes a huge amount of sense and uh, (laughs) if you're able to link with people like Jane Rickson and so on in terms of your soil science background and learning on that there are there's there's huge amounts of expertise to learn from and they get you know in these huge professional bodies yeah you might have to jump through quite a few hoops to get through to various people which might might be a bit easier with a smaller body like i agree so it's nice i mean as a as a um a real positive thing uh from i agree they've properly treated me like family we we are like a, a a big family group which um i know that i wouldn't have got anywhere else and it definitely suited me and um i'll be ever grateful to i agree yeah. well that is good to hear and a <laughs> testimonial for i agree um, and from a stock point of view they are fab they are really good so it's 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 really ha- nice for us to have them as members and, and connections in that way because it's really good to work with so um good okay so future question um what's next for you which is very broad but it's exactly what i've got written down here so yeah, just... what's next for me <laughs> wow <laughs> um not as in tomorrow i mean you could answer as tomorrow it's <laughs> a cup of tea after this i don't know <laughs> yeah. i mean the big thing that's um coming up for seven trend but the, just the water sector in general is uh pr24 at the moment and that that is taking up a lot of um it's taken up a lot of my time so far, and I think it's going to be the majority of my time for the next few months. Um, so, yeah, this is working out and developing our strategy and our and our investment um, protocol for the 2025 to 2030 period. So what are we going to be doing in our team uh, for catchment management and for farmers and the agricultural sector within that period? So it's a... It's a big piece of work, and especially because we've got to decide on it sort of two years before you actually go to start delivering it. Um, and so, yeah, you have to you have to pull on quite a lot of different sort of data and um, uh, a lot of liaison with regulators and uh, other stakeholders as well in order to build a, a robust plan. Right. 
and that's the plan for for the that's the plan for PR twenty four. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, okay. the whole the whole company will be doing a PR twenty four plan. I'm in charge of my section, catch right. management. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that each water company needs to do in advance for yes. the time period mentioned. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So every water company will be doing they'll be doing something right now towards it. Definitely. Yeah. And that's to fulfil regulator requirements and going beyond that. Is yeah. This, so this there's is, welcome element, to my lack of knowledge. Yeah. So th- there's an element of um, so what well, PR twenty four is price review. So it's working nice. out the the investment uh, needed to deliver both our um, regulatory statutory requirements as well as the things which are above and beyond that are what our customers want. So. Um, from my point of view, we've got a lot of, in my team, um, we've got both statutory obligations with regards to the environment. So um, an example would be um, for any new treatment that's got to go in at one of our water treatment works, we have to have a catchment management scheme that sits behind it. Um, and then we've also got uh, this sort of statutory plus or the above and beyond pieces of work, which are um nice to have but there are things that our customers want so um one one example might be um uh i'm trying to think now so uh, like one one good example actually is um peatland restoration up near lake vernery that's one of the the projects that we're exploring at the moment and what we can we can do more there so uh, it's not a statutory requirement but that's a really good thing for the environment it's a good thing for our customers as well um, interesting so, yeah. lots of plans lots of exciting plans by the yes yeah lots of things to explore and yeah. uh, find solutions for that sounds like your cup of tea by, by <laughs> what we've spoken to about recently um okay good lots of things coming up uh sounds busy um but imagine if for one day in your uh, near future you had access to world leaders this is the question we ask all of our uh, right. guests on Envcast. What would be the thing that you talk to them about and try to get them to do? Okay, so I know what I would talk to them about, but I'd get them to do. <laughs> <laughs> what would they be talking about? So I know what I'd talk to them about. So um, this is something that um, is starting to touch on my professional life as well, but it's really stemmed from my personal life. Um, so I was very lucky growing up. Um, I grew up, um, it was just a little market town on the border of Oxfordshire, um, but I had uh, great access to the countryside. And at the time, I didn't know how good my access to this countryside was. There was bridle pass, a footpath going out of the town. It's very easy to get access to nature. Um, and I just, at the time, I didn't realise how good I had it, I guess. Um, I'm now living in the countryside and whilst I definitely appreciate the the greenery that I can see out the window right now, um, I actually feel more closed off than I did when I lived in the little market town. And that's because that's because public footpaths, bridle paths, there's a lot fewer and far between. And um, so for me, I as I've been getting older, I guess, as well. Um, I've been realising how important access to nature is for me as an individual. Um, but then when you 
when you think about um, inner cities and um, all the different urban centres around the the Midlands area, we're, we're a very densely populated area, and um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people live within within the urban centres that don't have access to enough green space, um, and that's. I would be uh, petitioning. I guess I'd love to to petition the world leaders to to bring more green space to 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 everybody. Um, I've definitely noted not just from the COVID period, but I've definitely noted the benefits to to my uh, mental well being and my physical well being of having access to to green space. It doesn't just have to be countryside. It could just be. Um, more green parks, more trees lining the streets. Um, you know, the the uh, uh, like green suds within cities. Um, you know, just uh, the less hard standing, less concrete. I guess all of that sort of um, feeds into uh, the feeling of more more green space within an environment. Well, I can certainly see why you would be getting world leaders to talk about that because it's hugely important. I mean, especially, I mean, you mentioned, you know, when pandemics hit, for example, you know, it's having access to green spaces is vastly important for, you know, getting to know about the environment as a whole, increasing yeah. positive well-being. Yeah, and I think it plays into um, sort of diversity within this environment space as well. Like we mentioned earlier about we're not getting enough um well, we're probably getting more more and more young people coming into the environment sector than in some other sectors, but we're definitely not getting enough to sustain the number of jobs that are coming coming out of the environmental sector. Um, and um, crucially, we're also not getting the diversity. We're getting... Um, so actually, I sit on the Diversity and Inclusion Committee of IAGRI, and we're, we're seeing something similar there in that membership is... Um, not as diverse as what we would hope it to be and what it probably uh, needs to be in order to sustain the the innovation and the projects and the development needed within our sector. Um, and I think part of that plays back to this um, green space and access to access to nature because a lot of people don't they don't experience it and they don't um, they don't if they don't if if they don't experience access to nature and they don't have, uh, feel the benefits of it then it's it's harder for them to to get into that sort of environmental sector as well so i think it all sort of feeds together to be honest yeah yeah absolutely uh, i mean it speaks volumes when you know you and i are, are fairly rural based um in the leicestershire countryside and we feel like we have a lack of access to, to countryside and green spaces and so on but yeah it must be amplified hugely in inner city spaces um and the demographics then you know, tend to change and um it's those issues we need to to try and address so mm -hmm. an interesting thoughtful uh um discussion to to conclude and something for listeners to have a think about um once they've finished listening to this podcast i suppose um so thank you very much uh for joining us today alex that kind of brings our podcast to a close um it's been very very interesting talking to you thank you for spending the time with us um now, if you want to hear or if you want to follow in Alex's footsteps and become a chartered environmentalist and showcase your environmental knowledge, then please check out the iAgree website, which is iagree.org. That's I-A-G-R-E dot org. Or you can always go to the Society for the Environment website. Um, if you're already a chartered environmentalist or you know of an outstanding one, 
like Alex, maybe, um, and you'd like to highlight that we, we, uh, we, we've, as of this release date, the nominations are open for the 2023 SOCEMV Awards. Uh, so if you wanted to nominate someone or yourself, then go to the SOCEMV website and you'll find the details of that. You could be the 2023 Environmental Professional of the Year. Who knows? Um, next month, uh, we're sticking with the theme of water uh, and we hope to hear an in- insights from another chartered environmentalist in the water sector but with a bit of a different angle um so i look forward to seeing you then and thank you very much again to alex thank you thank you for listening to today's nfcast episode if you'd like to hear more about the chartered environmentalist registered environmental practitioner or registered environmental technician registrations please look at our resources available at socenv.org.uk Alternatively, visit our YouTube channel where you can find a variety of environmental webinar series, uh, registration guides, and various insights from registrants themselves. Just search for Society for the Environment on YouTube. To keep up to date with what's going on at the Society for the Environment, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram via at SOCEMV underscore HQ and via LinkedIn by searching for Society for the Environment with SOCEMV in the brackets. We will release a new Envcast episode on the first Wednesday of each month. So if you're interested in future podcasts, please do subscribe. You can subscribe and review through a variety of platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox.